talk and then hit this? Oh, okay. All right, you can edit all this out. Okay. <clears throat> may it be your will, Adonai, my God, that a mishap not come about through us, and may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us, and may we not say regarding something that which is Tameh that it is Tahor, and not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh, and may, may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thank you. Well, as you can tell, there's no PowerPoint and no technology going to be used. I kind of wanted to just have sort of a uh, like an old-fashioned Talmudic-type discussion about the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. So picture yourself, we're in Israel, and this is you know back 500 or maybe even 1,000 years, and we're just in like a shul, and all the men get together, and we just debate, and we discuss, and we try to come to some conclusions. So we have some questions at the end, but the way that I figured we could go through this is, first we'll start with the word covet, or desire in some translations, We'll kind of break that down in the Hebrew and the Greek. And then I wanted to just go, kind of go around the room and read each little paragraph or, or a little sentence. And we'll, we'll kind of, each one of us will do that. And then we can sort of discuss it as we go along. And then once we get through this, which has some of the Hebrew, some of the Greek, it's got some of the things that Jewish commentators have said, some of the things that Christian commentators have said, what scripture says. Once we are armed with those things, I think we'll be able to have some really, really good discussion and draw some conclusions. I want to hear lots of opinions during this because I really am not old enough or experienced enough to teach anybody. So I'm really here to learn from you guys and try to understand this commandment more. So I'll, I'll go through the first part here. We've got the, the there's two words in Hebrew uh, the first one is ava, and the the actual word. This is the root of the word ta'ava, which is going to be used in the Deuteronomy passage when it talks about desiring your neighbor's uh, house and field and wife and all that. So um, obviously, a root here, desire. We can kind of read through that um, at at your own on your own time. But the main thing is the English is pretty accurate there. It, it just means desire. So. We see here in Numbers, now the rabble was among them. Uh, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, "Oh, that we had meat to eat." So obviously, craving there is that word. And then you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That's not highlighted because that's not the word ava. Um, you shall not desire your neighbor's house. That is the word. His field, his servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And that's from Deuteronomy 5.21. Then here in Proverbs as well, all day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Proverbs 21.26. So the word used in the Exodus passage, the first time that the Ten Commandments are laid out, that is the word chamad. So here we see that is a root, and it, again, it's the same kind of thing, desire, covet, take pleasure in, delight in. The interesting part about this is we will find it's actually quite morally neutral. I mean, desire is used throughout the scripture to talk about desiring something good. Um, 
in this case, it's obviously talking about um, desiring something that we shouldn't. So we have, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Exodus twenty seventeen. Now we can kind of break down the Greek. So the first one there, there was a couple in Greek that meant desire or covet, but these were some of the main ones. Um, epithemo, is that how you would, I, I'm not... Epithumeo, okay. So that occurs 18 times in 16 verses in the Greek concordance. And below that sort of is the breakdown of that word. Of course, this came from Blue Letter Bible, which is a helpful resource if anybody wants to sort of break down some of the Greek or Hebrew words. So you can look at that later. But here we have a couple verses where this one is used. And these are pretty, pretty powerful verses. So Romans 7, 7, what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. That is that word there. But I say to you, that is Romans 7, 7. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. For the desires that word there, of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. Galatians 5.17. Yes, sir. uh, Quick question. Uh, The Hebrew word, the um, word avah. So these other words like desire, inclined, covet, wait, longingly, wish, all of that is encapsulated in that one Hebrew word? It is, yeah. It's a root that can be... It can go any of those ways. So, yeah. And so the desire that the Hebrew is speaking of is a desire for something that you that isn't good for you? It depends on the context. And that's why I said it's sort of morally neutral because it's not always used to describe bad desires or like lust or something like that. And it's used in some cases to describe something that's not bad, that, that's kind of good. so badly that you're actually going to do something that's immoral in order to obtain it. it. Not just merely, well, you know, I'd like to have that big house someday. Exactly. And see, some of the commentators go back and forth on that because that, like, is it is it a sin to just really, really want something or is the sin come when you actually act upon that desire? You know? And that's kind of where... We're... A way that isn't morally good Well, and the tricky part is, like, when you, when you break that down, it's like, okay, so you covet your neighbor's wife. If you act on that, okay, that's adultery. Right. If you covet the, the servant, okay, well, that's theft. I mean, all the rest of them, that, that's just kidnapping. theft. Or, or kidnapping, exactly. So it's like, those are all sins that we already hear about in the Torah. Right. One of them is right there in the Ten Commandments about adultery. So that's what... As is theft. Thank you, sir. Yes, indeed it is. So, great points, but at the same time, like, is this just supposed to be a summation of, like, you know, this is going to cause all the sin, or is this a sin in and of itself? Covet in the 
first sentence highlighted, which, uh, so I went just real quick to Google the Bible, and that word for you shall not covet is tachmod. So it's a completely different, completely different word. It's from the Hamad. Yeah, it's from Hamad. That's why that one actually includes both the words for desire covet. Okay. Oh, that, okay. and, but that was underneath the, I, I didn't highlight that because that one actually includes the one beneath it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And similarly, in James 4.2, I'm not sure you heard yet, but the first one you highlighted and the second one is a different word in the Greek. Exactly. Also. I know. There, yeah, there was a bunch there, but I wanted to sort of highlight the one particularly that Paul discusses because he, I mean, he could have really picked anything right there to talk about, like, what, like, if he was just try, looking for an example of a sin, to say, like, I wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for the law. He picks covet for a reason, so I, I, that was just interesting, and that's why I went with that particular Greek word in this case, because there are a couple others uh, that, that talk about, you know, desire or lust or covet. But yes? To me, it, it also seems like uh, it's not just Desiring something to the point where you are constantly uh, consumed, obsessed with it. It's, it, it's, caught, it's changing maybe uh, the way you think, the way you behave, because you're so focused on this, this desire that you have, right? Um, even though you may not take any actual actions to obtain whatever it is that you're coding, that there's a point there, and I, you know, I'm not sure if I can know exactly where the line is, yeah. but it's, it, to me it kind of harkens back to what uh, Messiah said with respect to, uh, for example, uh, murder or adultery, right? He said, if you lust in your heart after a woman, you've already committed adultery, or if you hate your brother, you've committed murder, right? So at some mm-hmm. point, there is a, um, there's this kind of dwelling on this desire that's unhealthy, healthy, and at some point in there, I think you cross the line, right? Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think the word that you're looking for is about Zara. It's, it's, it's idolatry. It, well, it's right. Like, I mean, that's what it's, it's, it's certainly likened to in Colossians, right? Yeah. You're serving that desire, <coughs> that insatiable but desire. But in the case of coveting, I think the, that overwhelming desire would have to be somebody else's stuff, right? Well, that's what the commandment makes it sound like. Well, but let's say, you know, I mean, let's use the big house example, right? I mean, you know, you drive, by, you drive by the mansion and, and you're, you're like, man, I would really like to have a mansion like that, but, you know, and you just kind of, you know, I mean, there's nothing, it's not, it's not, it's not like, you know, lusting after a woman or something like that. I mean, it's kind of an inanimate object or whatever, but the point is the thought and the obsession with it becomes unhealthy, right? It, it, it could be a title or a position. Sure, it could be, yeah. It could be a number of different things. Well, anything of your neighbors, it goes ahead and qualifies at the end of the statement. Well, so. it, still, it seems like he keeps qualifying it with the neighbor instead of, like, anything. So well, but in... Oh, I guess I'm 
guess the mansion belongs to somebody. And, and everything does. <laughs> Your name does belong to somewhere in the Yeah, I was kind of, I mean, I was, I was even thinking of just like a, a car lot, you know, but even that is owned by the car dealer. Yeah, every, everything is owned by somebody. Yeah, unless it's owned by you. Yeah, I guess the difference between uh, ambition. Jeremiah. Oh, sorry, Jeremiah had his hand up. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, discussion is really, really good. Actually, um, 
thinking of some passages. It doesn't actually use the right Hebrew word or, or Greek word, though, because it's like, okay, uh, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, you know, it's, uh, or desire. You know, it's, it's just, that's one right there. And then um, that's Psalm 23. It's Psalm 37. Another one that popped in my head was, you know, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. You know, the, um, and again, it was a, a, a different and and as an example, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants. You know, that's the most desirous one that I think is in a positive way. This this exact word is used here in, in Psalm 19, just to give you a, a good a good example. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Hamad, desired they are than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So that answers your question about the word. The precepts, the commandments, those are things that we are to desire. Right, no, and I agree with that. I'm just yeah. saying I don't see it as something that somebody else possesses. That's, that's where which I'm is, going. Which is why that word is very specific here in the context of like what someone else is in possession of. As opposed, to, I mean, you. Can, I mean, I don't even think it'd be bad to desire a gift that someone gave you. I mean, if it, it, it's in someone else's possession, is where we're we're crossing the line right here. So maybe a positive way to look at it is that it, it gives you that desire to, you know, set that goal or to motivate you, so you don't become slothful. You know that that it, it gives you the motivation to go out and. You know, if you want to have that mansion or you want, you know, I mean, not to the point to where Brother Greg was saying about, you know, having it consume your thoughts to the point to where you're not content with where you right. are right now and right. what God has given you, mm -hmm. but to actually have the motivation to further Ambi skills. Ambition. You know, at what point does ambition become covetousness? Right. Yeah. We're going to touch on that verse. Yeah. Well, if we, what I figured we'd do on, so, so that, that kind of covers a breakdown of the, the Hebrew and the Greek word there with some verses and examples. So now we'll kind of just go through this, and at each point we can stop and discuss it if you want, or we can kind of make our way through until we get to a, an interesting point that we want to talk about. So I figured, we'll just, why don't we start with you, Joshua, and you just read... Just read the uh, the first thing there, and we'll kind of go around that way. Yes. So that's Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is the earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Colossians 3, 5. Right there. Y you had it. Yes. Woe to those who desire wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses, and they take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. You shall not walk properly, for it will be a time of disaster. Micah 2, 23. Hmm. It's interesting because 
of similar verse to about the coveting of the land is in Deuteronomy. And some people have actually used that to show that it's impossible that this could mean just like a strong desire or strong passion. Like it has to be an action because I, I don't remember the exact reference and I could look it up if we need to, but it's basically like, and when you go out, they, they meaning the nations, shall not covet your land. And so they're pointing out like, well, why would, why would that matter? Like if they just looked at the land and were like, man, I really want that, unless it was them wanting to actually take it like, and then lead them to action. So it was kind of a, an interesting verse there. But anyway, kind of related to the Micah verse. You could, um, we did just read that. Go right ahead to the next one there, Pete. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. But there, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So that puts it really strongly and goes back to what Jeremiah was saying about it preventing you from being truly thankful, not just thankful with your words, but truly thankful for what God has given you. Because true thankfulness is really contentment. You wouldn't desire anything if you were truly thankful because you have it. So I feel like that is a very good summary statement there. So now we're going to kind of go into some of the commentators this is the Jewish approach, and then we're going to take the Christian approach coming up. A couple of things from the pastor, um, Westminster Shorter Catechism, <laughs> and, uh, and various things. So, yes? I was just going to say that's a great comment coming from, from someone whose first teaching in this class was on thankfulness. Ah, that, that really, you know, I was really, <laughs> that's it was a good, a really good, little study to do on that word because it hearkened back to Mr. Spurlock's it's not what you say it's what you do because that word is definitely a verb and it's definitely like an action you are thankful and it's like a state that you're in in addition to an action that you walk out each day and yeah that was it is cool how that's it's almost like the uh, the inverse of coveting is is that but oh Context, you know, it's 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 talking about you know, uh, I mean, it's separately in, in Colossians, it separately kind of breaks out sexual immorality, impurity, passion, right, which would kind of fall into the lust, you know, and that sort of thing, and 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 it kind of separately says and covetousness, which is idolatry, mm-hmm. and then in the next passage is talking about coveting fields and houses and you know, um, you know, so anyway. To me, it seems like the um, the primary connotation is the idea of what I would call materialism in our society. Which, if you think about our society, our society is largely obsessed with materialism. Yeah, that's true. I I think it's the sages that say, or just reiterate the point that you can only have one thought at a time. So while you're thinking about 
some, something your neighbor has or, or something material, obviously at that moment you're not thinking of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Um, I was, when I was doing the tzedakah study, um, one of the uh, resources I used had, talked about when he was a Bible student. He said, his professor said, okay, well, what's the thing that's on your mind most of the day? You know, from the moment you wake up to the time you go to bed, what, what is on your mind most of the day? Chances are that's your God. That's kind of a scary way to put it. Yeah. It really forces us to, uh, as walking this walk, uh, with any kind of relationship with God, to truly evaluate our priorities. Absolutely. Why don't you give us the, the first one under the uh, Jewish approach there? Jewish approach. The verse begins, You shall not covet your fellow's wife, using the same word, takmod, implying an active effort to attain the item. However, the verse uses differently continues differently, saying, you shall not desire, titave, your fellow's house. The Shulchan Aruch explains here, the Torah is prohibiting merely thinking and scheming how to pressure one's fellow into selling him the item. Thus, if one only plans how to attain the item in such a fashion and never proceeds, he nonetheless transgresses the Torah commandment of lo titave. All right. There's... Some of these don't agree necessarily with that, but I think that was similar to what you were saying, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a point where you are, the more you're scheming. Hmm. Yeah. Because you're trying to figure out. Exactly. But not to emasculate ambition or anything like that. Right. Because we do. And don't you do. Like, I, I do, since that, that's, we, we brought that up before, I, I, this is just me, but I kind of feel like ambition is exactly what this would be without focusing on something of your neighbors. It's like focusing on something that you have come up with in your own head. Like, for me, it would be like, I want a five-bedroom house with three acres. Not like, I want Joshua's five-bedroom house with three acres. You know, like, I, and, and that's is per, not maybe like a, the thing that drives my whole life, but it's sort of this ambition that I have one day to provide for my family. You know? I, I see that as just a, a bit different. Yeah. Yeah, somebody had keeping up with the Kohens was one of the, <laughs> one of the, one of the things on Chabad.org. It was kind of funny. don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. They're broke. Yeah. They're in debt. Yeah. All right. The, n- the next one, would you? I made a note on active, active effort. Very good. Okay. Active effort to attain the Because that implies action to me. Mm-hmm. And I have a real problem with the whole, if I think wrong, I'm sitting. I know. So the active effort, I like. Um, can we see the master in the garden? And he's praying so hard, he's sweating. I would say that's hard work. I would say that's action. Um, even though you might not even be moving. Same thing here. You know, this whole active effort of obtaining something. Hmm. Well, I, um, just to, I guess, if I could put note to that, the, 
function here, they're saying Tachmon implies active effort, but Titave implies, uh, you know, this thinking and scheming inside. So to me, having a thought, having a, a bad thought or whatever we want to use, is not a sin unless you allow yourself to continue to think it, act on it. Mm-hmm. Right, because even mentally. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and that's, that's what I'm, that active effort to me can be inside your head. Well, I mean, like, but as a, as a follow-up to that, like, there's actually a blessing in your siddur for having seen a beautiful person, which would include a woman. So you can thank God. Who has all things in his universe. Such things in his universe. But then, you know, obviously, if you're starting to think about this person um, in any, almost any way, really, but, you know, start actively thinking of them, then you're going to cross that line. Um, the one thing, though, that I think that's most complicated in this issue of coveting is talking about, and I think maybe the most important one to resolve, in a sense, is what to do with, like, does it have to be owned by someone else? Because the word is used previously in um, Numbers where they were coveting meat. Mm-hmm. No one else had meat. They were, they, it wasn't like they well, wanted somebody else's the, meat. The word doesn't necessarily have to be by someone else, but the commandment used twice the commandment focuses on that, but God specifically like eviscerates all the people who are craving meat. I mean, like it says, well, if it was still in their teeth, He like sends a plague and kills them. So, I mean, in that sense, it's like obviously He had an issue with that. So, I mean, I guess my my point on that is that there's um, if we look particularly at Yeshua's words in the Sermon on the Mount, He seems very much focused on wanting things or, or being anxious about things. Not that other people have, but that I don't have. He talks about worrying about what you eat, what you wear, etc. So, I mean, I don't know that it's as simple as saying it's something that somebody else specifically has. Yeah, but he never said that if we focus on those things and are worried about them, that sin. He said you shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't worry. For so do the text. Because your heavenly Father cares for you and your heavenly Father loves you. That and and the numbers, I I have some some issue with that because so often the children of Israel hearken back to like we had in Egypt. Oh, like we want to go back to Egypt, and I I mean I think you could make a pretty strong argument that that's probably what they're thinking about when it comes to their water, their meat, those things that maybe the the Canaanites across the river they weren't seeing them having it and desiring it, but that they were desiring to. Flee. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In the case of the Israelites, also with the quail and, and numerous other complaints, it, it just seems to be a, a sense of dissatisfaction or lack of contentment. Yeah. Yeah. Which is prevalent throughout. Yeah. Before we jump onto this next thing, I thought it was interesting that just as Deuteronomy and I think the Exodus passage as well use both words for desire and covet. The first place that that's used is Eve in Genesis 3, this, uh, where it says, The serpent said to the woman, Oh, wait, oh, sorry. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Both words are used right there. That was the first place. So, hearkening back to, of course, the uh, very root of all sin. <laughs> and in that sense, maybe it's not so much in 
that particular instance, she isn't per se coveting or wanting somebody <coughs> else's item, but she is wanting what God has not given her. And that, yeah. and that's what, or is not going to give her. Well, she's, she's focusing, I think, on what God has, and that's what Satan is doing to her. He doesn't want you to be like him. Yeah, he doesn't want you to have that. Yeah. Well, why don't you continue on with the, the next one. Maimonides adds, the moment one entertains the thought how to obtain a neighbor's possessions, that is, a home, wife, utensils, he violates the injunction against coveting. The Torah makes it clear, do not desire. Deuteronomy 5.18, for desire belongs to feelings of the heart and nothing else. We can just... Uh, Keep going around if anybody doesn't have anything to say specifically about that one. It reminds me of a verse in Proverbs, and I'm going to paraphrase it if I can't find it. Okay. It basically says, um, be wary of the heart, for its inclinations and desires can lead you to bad things. That's a very good paraphrase. But it's the same Hebrew word. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're telling us about English right now. But, but it's, the same, it's the same Hebrew word as well. It, but, you're, but you're picking apart an English translation. Of course, but, but that word itself is used for both positive and negative things. Or exactly. Things. But, and, uh, yeah, you're right. That picking apart the English word because, because all this is is just a translation of, uh, even like just here, here in the Talmud, do not desire, uh, for desire belongs to feelings of the heart and nothing else, but... Obviously, if you have a renewed heart, your desires will be holy things. But not all the time until we're redeemed from this body, right? Uh, Isn't that why Paul was sure? I mean, that, that's that, that's saying, why you know who will save me from this right, body? Right. That, that's why when you give an offering, you can spend on strong drink or anything your heart so desires. Mm -hmm. So des desire of something isn't isn't it. in fact it's encouraged as Absolutely. long as that desire is a godly desire. Exactly. So, Absolutely. Okay, so. But I don't think you can. I mean, if you want to put, but, well, but, you want to say covetous is always negative and desire is always positive. Right, but but in other words, it's always the context of how that verb or word is used in the Hebrew. Right. So it can exactly, be covetousness and desire, um, it, it it can go either way almost all the time. To according to context, of to support that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfills the tree of life. Proverbs thirteen twelve. Absolutely. And I mean, what are our prayers typically but the desires of our heart? Asking God for something. So. I do think that there is a, maybe a fine line where desire by itself can cross into problems. I mean, Paul, Indeed. Paul warns yeah. against the love, of all, the love of money is the root of all evil, which um, reminds me quite a bit of the next thing we're about to read here in this Judaism section. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, Jeremiah, you want to pick up there and we can talk about that? It's the Rambam Hilchot. So, a little 
little different uh, take there. I mean, he's sort of showing the progression of starting with desire, leading to coveting, and then leading to stealing, and inevitably murder. Very interesting. Yeah, and that's basically keeping the second greatest commandment as opposed to breaking the tenth because what you're doing is inevitably loving your neighbor by providing more for your neighbor. So the desire to keep that commandment has been fulfilled by God giving you a material possession or money or whatnot, which is really, it's, and that, that's just a cool way that it works. Instead of desiring what your neighbor has, it's more of like, I'm providing for my neighbor. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, yes. Got to be on the swivel. Um, I mean, obviously it's similar, but this reminds me of James 4.2, which you, you had 4.2, but also I wanted to add, but let me just read it. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Kind of what Jeremiah was saying. I, I feel like James is talking about not, you do not ask because you don't ask for like the material things, you don't, you don't ask for the, the godly things, but li- then it goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spit it on your foot treasures. Mm. Yeah, yeah, excellent summary there. 
Well, we can continue with uh, Philo. Oh, oh, yes. A really neat story in Judaism. I'm thinking about Jeremiah's comment about seeing God has given you as sufficient. Um, I can't remember exactly who says this, but um, it's like a Jewish parable about contentment and coveting. And they say that um, it's comparable to like a peasant in a kingdom. Ibn Ezra. Yeah. Are you going to use that one in a minute? It's, it's uh, actually... I didn't see that one on here. Yeah, it's it's the one after this, but the par I, I took out the parable. This the, what I have in here is the explanation. So give the parable because oh, I was going to get to that anyway. The parable he says that um, uh, to you should not covet what other people have because God's not chosen to give it to you, and they compare it to a peasant and why a peasant would never uh, want, you know, covet the, like the princess because the peasant realizes he has absolutely zero shot. Like there's no, it's not an option. It's not a possibility. It's not like. You know, maybe I could scale the walls of this massive castle, fight off 500 guards, and, you know, all of that type stuff. Essentially, the peasant realizes it's impossible. Therefore, I'm okay. I don't need the, the princess because exactly. I can't get her. So they say that in the same way, like, one should realize that everything you don't have is impossible for you to get because God is sovereign. So everything that God chooses to give you is given to you. But things that God withholds from you, you cannot obtain. Hence, you should not want those things because you can't have them. So it's like you should just you know, learn to be content with what God's given you. Or God has given you the opportunity to get. But the point being is that there are some things that God's like, no. And then you just you're, you, you rest. Exactly. So Within that, you know, say you know, the pauper got the princess. Or the, or, um, or it only happens in Disney. Well, I just made Or whatever, the, the poor you know, homeless beggar guy gets the mansion. But what happens? You know, the, the mansion requires, you know, it, you, suddenly you've got property taxes, suddenly you've got, you know, a uh, bigger heating and power bill than you've ever seen before. You, you've got all these things that go along with it. So just desiring the house or just desiring the, the high maintenance, pr oh, just the princess, <laughs> um, or whatever, um, it comes with things that we may not be prepared for. So suddenly, just because you have the house, you know, well, you know, you'd be eaten alive in property taxes and, and homeowners association fees and, and, and the things that we didn't consider, the things that we didn't see before. Exactly. So to Joshua's point, yeah, you, you weren't prepared to, to, to receive that. So it's no wonder you, you shouldn't even desire those things. Mm -hmm. So I would actually like to latch on to Joshua's I don't know how many of you have traveled internationally in like a mission type of atmosphere, but in a lot of situations we go into these poorer countries and we're just amazed at the joy and the contentment that people who have nothing experience. And they actually want to share out of what they have, which is so little, with us who have so much. And it just overwhelms you as far as their graciousness in those kinds of situations. Mm. And it's very humbling. Well, yeah. I, I would say, well, my theory on that is the biggest difference between them and us is we have advertising and television. With those two things, it's just almost impossible not to covet because that's all we're being told. Like, oh, don't you want this? Don't you want that? And without all of that, you're just a bunch of people walking around, doing your thing, working every day, and provide. And you don't have all of these messages and these temptations just flooding. Consumerism 
remember the days before cell phones, right? What? And guess what? I, I existed through life without it, right? But now it would be difficult. It would be difficult to imagine not having the convenience of a cell phone, right? Mm. So part of it is, you know, part of it is, you know, um, you don't covet what you never miss, or, or mm -hmm. that's not the right way to say it. But you know, what I'm, in other words, yeah. if you never had it, to, you know, or never even thought it even possible, weren't even aware that, that, it existed. that it existed, then there's no way you'd you never have the temptation to right. covet. Right. Exactly. So, so I think that's sort of Paul's point is in Romans 7. Sort of on that higher right. If he hadn't been exposed to it, he'd have known what it was. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, kind of. You know, Romans 7. I'm talking about the verse that he read. He's, he, he's not saying, I didn't know what coveting was because there was nothing to covet. No, I, I understand that. Can I just throw in a curveball in? Because I, I like doing that sometimes. Um, I, we've been focusing, I think, healthily on thankfulness and contentment and, and not wanting we don't have. But going back to that idea that there is a difference between healthy ambition and coveting, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26, we see this word desires, abath, the same root, um, shows up again, but it's actually in a positive context, for physical objects. Um, it says, you may spend the money, talking about tithe money that you're supposed to spend on off well, an offering that you're going to enjoy. It's not tithe given to the priest or to the poor. It's a tithe that you, it's like a Thanksgiving offering. Right? It says, you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. That's the same root, avah. For oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. So like that's an example where like your heart is desiring something, a physical thing, in this case food, um, that, again, is put to good use. Mm -hmm. But technically, I mean, if you look at Paul's injunction and everything that you do, whether it's eating or drinking, do all to the glory of the Lord, I mean, in a sense, everything you do should have a good use to it. So I guess what I'm just, just to throw out of the thought there is that it's not wrong to want things. There's just obviously a limit to where that wanting crosses a line, particularly when, it, when, it, when we lose that thankfulness. Right, and, and in this case, it's they've already have the means with which to acquire it. True, but I mean, I think, but that's, I mean, the thing about that, though, is that that is technically true. They had the means to acquire it, but, um, I mean, I, they had to get the means somehow, in a sense. I mean... And that was a blessing from God. It was. Yeah. And so, but I mean, in that respect, it's like you, um, there is a point where hard work is necessary with the intent, I mean, like, for example... You, you know, Judaism teaches that the amount of money you make in a year is predetermined by God. That He decides on Rosh Hashanah how much money or income each person will receive during that year. Which is a great concept, but it doesn't absolve me from doing any work or from not working harder. Like, I might look at it and I might say, well, I, I'm doing okay for what we have right now, but I want to have, you know, a house someday. Or I want to have a family, so therefore I will get a, a, a new job or, or additional income to provide for that. That would be an example of, like, the desire I don't think is wrong there. But it does require it me to actually acquire something I don't have right now. Yeah, that's and that, that's a good point. Um, that's kind of where I was going before with like the you know sort of dream house that you're attempting to acquire because I feel like those desires are for good intentions, they're for godly intentions to provide shelter for your family and room enough to have to grow in and and I think it would just be like where that would cross the line is if you were already in a house and the neighbor next to you 
had a much bigger house with a bigger yard, and you know, and then like you, God gave you what you had originally wanted, and now you're just wanting something bigger and better. You know, like that. I think is maybe where part of the line could be, but I don't know. So we'll, we'll yeah, we can keep going. If uh, is was there any? Oh, yes. something I want a bigger house for my family, you know, whatever the case may be. And and let's assume you work hard, you're diligent, God blesses that and you obtain it. The litmus or a litmus test, I'm I'm proposing, I'm not saying this is the case, but might be to ask yourself, all right, if God now takes away this thing do I still say Baruch Hashem, right? Another, kind of the Job scenario, right? Yeah. Job was a wealthy man. Yeah. But we know he didn't covet his wealth because when he didn't have it suddenly, he still was thankful to God, right? Uh, so I think... Which harkens back to the rich young ruler. We're trying to run the young ruler, right? Mm. He struggled with letting go of it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, I think you had your hand up. Then you. Then you. Uh, I, I like some, something I like to do is um, talk a lot about this. Mostly in Proverbs, as I've been saying, reading it every month. It talks about you know um, obtaining wealth. You know how to obtain wealth. All these things. And it also talks about riches. And kind of in my mind, I draw a distinction between. Wealth and riches. Wealth can be like, you know, I'm providing for my family. I have enough to provide for my family. I have, you know, enough room for them to live in. Um, I'm able to tie this much. I'm able to do these things. I'm both have the income and the means to do stuff that you know are, are and that could include riches. But it doesn't necessarily like with Job, like what uh, Greg was saying. If I lose everything, I am still. I still have a wealth. I still have my family. I still have. The means to do things. Mm-hmm. Well, well, in Joe's case, he has the means. On the topic of things that are positive to covet, I, I could say. I mean, isn't that the idea of a righteous man? I mean, I, 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 I desire and I, to have the families and to have the have the home and the relationship that that the righteous men in this room have as well. So I, I think that's that's a healthy form of, of desire, as well as, isn't that our mission to the Jewish people, is to, to provoke them to covetousness, essentially, with our relationship with their God. Uh, so, so can it be used, obviously, in a, in a, in a uh, positive and in a godly, righteous way to, uh, to increase someone to be righteous? I think, I think to, the answer is yeah. To yes. them to come to and I would even, just like picking up on your example, to me it would be like, your desire truly is to just glorify God. And you see that righteous man glorifying God with his family, with his Torah study, with all those things. And so you go, I, I want to glorify God that way. Like, I, I desire that, you know? How many testimonies start with, like, I, I just want what you want. Because I've, I've seen what the world has to offer me. And yeah. 
you have is so much better. That's, that's true. I think that's, that's, a, that's healthy. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us can yeah. say that yes. we desire that. We see our, our fathers. We see Absolutely. what they have done. We want to do that. Yeah. And or better. Tenfold. I would tenfold. I would argue that we, we are on shaky ground if we describe that as covetousness. If we say that we want other men to I remember years ago, I told my Sunday school class that love was okay, lust was always wrong. And this guy looked at me in front of 100 people, and he said, I lust after my wife all the time. And I said, that's a problem. And I think it is. I think that giving them that godly desire that we read about in many of the scriptures right. is that jealousness that, that should come. But back to my same point, it's the same word. I realize that, right. but as you said before, it can be used on either side of the stick. So I would say if you're going to use the English word, we shouldn't use covet. Same thing there. Yeah. We don't want to get guys... The English word covet as a negative covet. Exactly. exactly. I think we should steer away from that. I don't want anyone to covet because of me. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if, I, if, I, if, my, if my walk can cause godly desires in their, their lives, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. How, how we deal with that in Hebrew, I don't know that's what I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Johnny? I was just going to say that it's also, um, to, to tack on what Greg was saying and um, Brock were saying earlier, that it it's also, you know, if we don't have those things, that's a, I think that's a, sort of one of the true tests for our character. And I think that's, you know, obviously one of the things that, that God used Job for in that case. But it shows that there is more to a person than the contents of his bank account. There's more to a person than than the home in which he lives or the car he drives. And, you know, you hear stories about broke rabbis all the time, you know, and people who spend their last dollar before Shabbat because they're like, okay, you know, needs have been met and we have a little bit of excess, let's give it away. You know, uh, I, I use the word broke because I, 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 have, I believe there's a strong difference between the word broke and poor. Poor is more permanent state of being, and, and um, as well as lack of money, but but broke just, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that, and, and, and godly, righteous people, and to me, I think that that says something, that's huge, in fact, because God has provided for them and met their needs, and, you know, they don't need anything else, so they're not looking for anything else. Right. And, Right, yeah. Which are, with which our society is inundated to the gills. So, uh, just a... Yes. Maybe, maybe we could finish up the Jewish approach real quick. Do you, Mr. Fry, would you like to continue there? Philo? Well, I was just... I was going to toss out another curveball to Joshua's is that um, I think there's a line that we could all draw that when covetous or a desire or an ambition, and I'm saying this from a learned side of things, on the negative side, obviously, is that when it involves indebtedness, and when it, when your desires take you and put you in debt to somebody else, that that's a very fine.
that's that's a good point. Yeah. To the lender. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind just reading the. Uh, yeah. You could read the next one, too, since that yeah. one was so short. <laughs> In the same way, an intelligent person must know that he will not find a beautiful woman or wealth as a result of his wisdom or knowledge, but only if God allots it to him. And therefore, an intelligent person does not desire it or covet it. When he knows that God has forbidden his neighbor's wife to him, then she is more elevated in his eyes than the princess in the eyes of the peasant. And so he is satisfied with his portion and does not allow his heart to covet and desire something that kids, for he knows that God does not wish to give it to him. He cannot take it by force or by his thoughts or schemes. He has faith in his creator that he will provide for him and do what is good in his eyes. So think of that right underneath what the parable Joshua said. That's, that's from Ibn Ezra. And uh, that's basically his summary statement after he tells the parable of the peasant and the princess. Would you like to pick up on the next one there? It is true because, I mean, if you think about it, like, nobody's really coveting some, like, a big track of land on Mars. <laughs> like, nobody really thinks about that. Because it's like, that's so ridiculous. Yeah, and that's... Right. <laughs> but but that's sort of the, the point there. Mr. Wright, would you like to read the next one? You desire a neighbor's object and pressure him heavily until he gives it to you, even if your pressure was friendly, and even if you paid handsomely for it, you have violated the prohibition. Mm. Indeed. Well, now we'll jump right into the uh, the Christian approach. By that, I just mean that these men were... We're Christians. Uh, no, no, don't take the kippa off. <laughs> no, no. The, these were non-Jews that wrote these things. They were non-Jews. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Colby, why don't we jump right in there? So covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God, or losing your contentment in God so that you start to seek it elsewhere. John Piper... Yeah, John Piper had a really good sermon about this, and 
although his his point is definitely like it's just a thought. Um, a, a lot of actually, I, it's so funny because Judaism predominantly was like, as you saw, like well, when when something happens, when you start to scheme, when you start to really pressure your neighbor into getting something, that was sort of the like that's Judaism's approach to it. That's when it it qualifies as as sinning, and I, I found actually that there was a lot of more of like thought that was the sin in uh, in some of this commentary. No, no, it wasn't surprising, but. Uh... <laughs> yes. First sentence, it's covetous is. It's very, there has to be an answer. It's very, I guess we would call it Greekish. Direct, yeah. 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 Well, Mr. Upham, you have the privilege of reading the three questions right out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just read that. Just two days ago. After his Oswald Chambers <laughs> commentary. They're hosting Fish Fry on Friday. Yes. Question 79. What is the Tenth Commandment? Answer. The Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Question 80. What is required in the Tenth Commandment? Answer. The Tenth Commandment requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Question 81, what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? Answer, the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying and grieving of the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate emotions and affections to anything that is his. Hmm. That encompasses a whole lot, that last one. But I, th- I thought it was cool that they went ahead and gave the positive side of the negative commandment, which we all have said and we all agreed with, contentment is, is very important. We could just keep going if you want, because we're going to come to some scripture and then some questions that I had that I would love to hear everybody's thoughts on.
in Exodus, there was no mall. And I think that something is sometimes forgotten is coveting what your neighbor had is like a default. They may have the only one. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's like, like, so if, like, if your neighbor made a wagon, then guess what? There wasn't like a wagon store to go buy one just like your neighbor's. It was probably the only one. In which case, this makes way more sense. Well, but see, but then, like, I'm thinking about, like, if you, I mean, just, just another way to possibly view it. Another question you might have is the mall is selling the items, so they're willing to give them up. But technically, they're owned by the store. It is someone else's stuff. That's false. Jeremiah. Well, not necessarily, because I, I do feel like contentment, I, I mean, like, I, I don't, uh, I guess I don't put things like an iPhone versus uh, an LG in the in the contentment category. Like, when I'm thinking of contentment, I'm thinking, like, the house that I'm in, like, the, the main needs, I am content with those. But, like, the the extra little things that really are... Yeah, that that don't really affect anything. It's like if I had some extra money and I wanted to go buy an iPhone instead of that, I mean, I wouldn't see it as discontent with the phone that you had pre previously. You know, because it's just so unimportant that I, I don't... If you raise the importance on something someone else has and you desire it so much that now you're even flirting with the thought of going and taking it. Yeah. Or his wife. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I don't think the item is the key here. See, so it, it goes, and I just realized what, because what Johnny was saying was what I was thinking, and that was, um, and, and Jonathan, about the, you look at Sadiq, and you desire to be him, and you, like, you see his family, and you want a wife and children. You don't want his wife and children. Right. You want a wife and children. Mm hmm. Yeah. But just going back to your example. What I just said. Of, of you know, an iPhone versus an LG. Yeah. 
pretty, kind of the way you couched it was, you know, that's kind of a small thing. It doesn't really matter. I'm more in the context of, you know, bigger things, right? My only concern with that is, is it's really the small things that um, shape our thinking and our habits and, our, and the way we carry ourselves, right? So if I'm going to go buy, I mean, um, you know, I'll, I'll use just a, an example. You know, when the, whatever the third generation or fourth generation, yeah, I've right. right. you know, I, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool. I kind of like to have this, but then I, but then I kind of stop and I say, wait a minute, you know, and I can afford it. I can, I have the means to buy it, you know, and it's not going to affect my, you know, I'm not going to not make the mortgage payment if I buy the new iPad. Right. But, <laughs> but I still had to go through the thought process of, okay, look, yeah, I can afford the 600 bucks or whatever it was going to be, but is that really the best allocation of the resource that God has given me. So I could have, so I had a desire for it, right? But I had to balance my desire with a whole set of other things that had nothing to do with really um, cover it would right with with the iPad. It had to do with my stewardship and my responsibility for the thing, you know, and the, our stewardship, which I think is kind of the other side of covetousness mm-hmm. to a certain extent, right? Are we being content and a good steward of the things God has given us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to always, on those small things, where I can just, you know, whip out the credit card, pay for it, and it, and it doesn't impact me one way or the other, but it doesn't mean that I have the liberty to just do that. That's true. I, I think you're touching on something a little different, though, because back to Pete's point before, like, you obviously have a smartphone now, but at some point in time, you didn't. So at some point in time, you, your desire for a smartphone overrode what you described and, and, and got you a smartphone. And, it, like, I don't yeah, see that as any different than... My company bought for me. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, like, I, I don't really see that as any different than, like, the upgrading of the iPad. You know, like... Yeah. You're just, at, at some point in time, you're just kind of considering the options in front of you. And I, I just, I don't, I guess I wouldn't really, what I was trying to say before was I just wouldn't really put that in the, in the category of discontent. Like if you didn't get the iPad 4, I'm sure you wouldn't be discontent about that. I would put it probably in the, in the, in the discontent category. And I would just toss the rest of, of that argument. Yeah, the bigger, better, faster, smaller. And go to the next level, which is what I was saying about flirting with the line. I'm wondering if the coveting thing has to do so much with contentment at all. And maybe that's a red herring, because maybe contentment is just a whole separate thing. Because what I was thinking was maybe God would have said in the Tenth Commandment something like, or I've given you all you need, or something like that. Because that sounds like something God would say. He really just says, don't covet this and this and this, right. and that's it. You know, your neighbor's stuff. And it didn't seem so much like a because I've already given you everything you need, I've already provided all your needs, so you should be content, you shouldn't have to cover your neighbor's stuff. Well, I guess the reason that it's related is just because of the way that the words are related, like desire versus what? Contentment. I mean, I, I think that's just like a, like we're, we're talking about the, I, I mean, the words there. I interject here an idea of maybe desire and 
contentment. Try to put it like a parable of sorts. Um, coveting, sort of like um, if you're single and you're looking for a wife, then hopefully the woman that you choose to court and eventually marry is someone that you desired, someone that you wanted to marry. To your neighbor. <laughs> and does not belong to your neighbor. But okay, so, and the, and the point I guess I'm getting at is that desire in and of itself is not bad, but the, like you were talking about stewardship, it, it, I think that the key, maybe a, something of a fine line, is what does that desire cause, like how does that desire get expressed, what does it do, what do you plan on doing, what do you think about doing, what do you scheme to do? So like, if, like when I wanted to marry my wife, Juliana, when I decided that I, you know, desired her friendship and her companionship and wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, I did, first I went to her father and got his permission. Then I asked her to enter a relationship with me. Then we, you know, maintained a, a physical purity during our, you know, from when we started the relationship to when we got married. You know, so there's like, there, I kept the rules, quote unquote, of the way that the desire can be healthily expressed. Because where I would have where I would have messed up would be like if I start thinking about things that we could be doing that we shouldn't be doing until we're married. If I start if I would have tried to you know start a relationship with her behind her father's back. If I would have you know, there's lots of different ways where that desire can shift into co into covetousness and that level of contentment going back to that point is trusting God to do it the right time in the right way. So it's like. It's not contentment in the sense that, oh, I don't need anything else, I'm good. Yeah. But it's more, it's more in the sense that if God doesn't give it to me, that's okay. So, like, if Juliana had said, no, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, now's not a good time for me, or I don't, I don't think this has really worked very well, then my responsibility might have been to maybe keep asking in the future, but I'm not going to go and, like, you know, kidnap her. So, I mean, that's, like, that, that's the sense that there's a contentment. It's not that you don't want... Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it's not that you don't want, but it's the sense that you you want with like in God's framework. Yeah, which I think perhaps that's kind of where you were you were touching on when it comes to like for instance, I just what what occurred to me when you said that was. What you're saying is like it's not it's really not about contentment in his case because we would say like oh you're discontent with your single life like and you're you're right, so you're you're desiring a wife and I and I would say you're right in that sense like contentment really has nothing to do with that and, but then he is married and then he desires someone else's wife then it's like well you're not content with the one that you have so that's when contentment sort of enters the equation. Should I do it or should I not do it? Should I buy it? Should I not buy it? 
is a much bigger question these days yeah. than it ever was before. It was really easy to open up the wallet and go, no, it ain't happening today. You know, put the wallet away, walk out of the store. And, and that doesn't happen anymore. So I, I think that all the, the maturations that have to go into stewardship, uh, previous obligations, tithing, I mean, you can go on, down and down the line, the whole prioritizing everything in our yeah. lives, it really is going to come down to, why do I want why am I even considering buying that? And in my own life, that's where I need to look at the covenants and say, it's because Rick Spurlock has one, and therefore I have to have one. Right. If that's the answer, I should never buy that. Mm -hmm. well, and that that's a... Rick doesn't have it yet, I have to buy it today. Or Greg doesn't have it yet, I have to buy it. That's better, but it's still bad. But I wouldn't put that under covenant. More like discontent. Oh, no, I'm really content. <laughs> See, I, yeah. I, 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 I hear, I hear so, all, all I'm trying to say is there's so many ways that you need to look at a purchase these days. Exactly. Some of which have nothing to do with covetousness. Exactly. And, uh, you know, see the uh, see Mr. Martin's class, exactly. his finance yeah. class about stewardship and whatnot right. for further information about that. But yeah, well, let's let's move right along and get to some of these questions. So, so Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry. Yeah. yes. Okay. The foregoing commands implicitly forbid all desire of doing that which will be an injury to our neighbor. This forbids all inordinate desire of having that which will be a gratification to ourselves. So he ties in a bit of selfishness there, and also anything that would harm our neighbor as opposed to love them. Okay. Can you please read John Calvin? The difficulty will easily be removed by distinguishing between design and covetousness. Design, such as we have spoken of in the previous commandments, is a deliberate consent of the will after passion has taken possession of the mind. Covetousness exists without such deliberation and assent. When the mind is only stimulated and tickled, by vain and perverse objects, as therefore the Lord previously ordered that charity should <clears throat> regulate our wishes, studies, and actions. So he now orders us to regulate the thoughts of the mind in the same way, that none of them may be depraved and distorted, so as to give the mind a contrary bent. Mm. I all all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Ken, why don't you read us uh, Hebrews here? This is section. This is a section of being content. Perhaps a red herring, but we'll fry that fish when we get to it. <laughs> Excellent. These were just good, like, motivational scripture verses for us after such a, an in-depth look at something so negative. So, I'll read this one. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7. 
So here are some questions. These were just off the top of my head, so some of them we may have kind of discussed at length, but first, you know, we, I, I, we showed in Psalm 19 that this word chamad can be a good thing, desiring the precepts and the commandments and obedience toward God. So can, can we kind of put our finger on what the Tenth Commandment means by coveting or desiring? So material. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a great point. Good point. Okay. And then this was sort of my question, just because of some of the the Christian commentators there. We we've we may have touched on this in a prior class, but I mean. Can a thought be a sin? Yes? Uh, I, I think a single thought is difficult to characterize as a sin. I think if you continue to dwell on the bad thought, yeah. um, then it can become a problem, which leads me to a scripture that came to mind. The context is a little bit different, but it's, I think, the, the practice of the So Amen. that is, to me, the daily practice of that is when I have a thought, right? When a beautiful woman walks by, okay, I acknowledge she's a beautiful woman, right? To your point, God made the beautiful woman. Go God, right? But if I... Go again. <laughs> but if I continue to dwell on that and Follow her out the door and do whatever she wants, right? Now you're stalking. Different command. Now I'm now I'm taking a thought. The thought was not the sin, but now I'm I'm acting. Yeah, acting. I'm absolutely. acting on the thought and I'm kind of playing the thought over and I'm mulling it around and and, and so the, this verse here, to me the way to practice this is you first have to recognize that the thought that you have could be problematic and you then have to consciously say you've got to consciously bring that thought captive to the obedience of the side of and, I, and I literally so, I mean I literally if I have a thought it, it, particularly if I'm like in the car driving or, or whatever I'm by myself I will literally actually say this verse out loud to myself as a way mm. to kind of... See, that's excellent practical advice for us because that's also what I was looking for in some of these questions was how do we avoid doing this? Now, real quick before I get to you, Johnny, I was just going to ask, it, it almost seemed like both things that you described were thoughts, even though that you described the second thought as sort of an action of following someone with the eyes. And I'm just... It, it's almost becoming apparent to me that it's not... 
it, it still is a thought, but it's like, one thought is like, she's very beautiful, Baruch Hashem. And the other thought is like where Yeshua is going with it, like lusting, like, I wonder what she's like in bed. You know, and it's like, both are thoughts, but one, can one be a sin versus the other one, which is just sort of a, a fleeting reason to bless God? I mean, you know, like, what do you think? That's exactly where I was going. Um, the answer to, to it is, to, to, to it, uh, can it be a sin is absolutely. Because in there, in that very same passage you were mentioning, Yeshua is actually equating the thought. If, if this isn't a fence around it. He's actually saying, the moment you think about or lust for this woman, it's no different than as if you have already gone to bed with her. It's, he, he, he makes it clear that is sin. That is sin. That very thought. So it's, it, okay. it's the same thing with um, the same thing with uh, harboring the anger for your brother. You know that, that leads to murder. You you murdered him in your heart. You, you thought about it already, and it's you have sin. You have sin. It's, it's no different. Even if you haven't physically done the act, it's no different. Yeshua and, makes that clear. And dwelling on that thought opens is the gateways to commit adultery with her in your heart, or to, you know, like what he says, equating murder to hating your brother. Yeah. Yes. I would argue that point. Matthew 5.27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Committing adultery with her in his heart is not sin. If it were sin, it would need to be in the Torah cannot add commands to the Torah. Continuing, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So I, I think the point here is he's he's giving the causality. If if you if you think that you can lust in your heart and not eventually act it out. You're you're kidding yourself. If you're thinking that, take the eyeball out. Take the hand off. It's better that you be able to walk through life and not do the sin than be tempted to sin in that way. That's my thought on it. Just, I think the activeness of this faith we have is so very important, which is why it's so amazingly alarming that our government has come up with laws now that are based on our thoughts. You beat this guy up, but you're white, he's black, you beat the guy up, therefore now it's a hate crime because we know you hate black people. It must have been that you thought it wrong, and therefore if you beat up a white guy, we just put you in jail for a week, but now we're going to put you in jail for 10 years because it was a hate crime. It's insidious to be able to pick out the thoughts and say it's sin. Although I think that we will be judged for our thoughts. Every thought and intent. But I think that and talk about hate, but getting away from lust, the hate issue, it specifically says um, in Leviticus, you shall not hate your neighbor in your heart. And it follows up again. Um, you should not have like a malicious intent towards your neighbor, and I think that's in Zechariah. So there's this. Um, I think the idea is it's like you know lusting. 
I, I would kind of draw the line almost sort of like um, the word that comes to mind is fantasizing. It's like if you see someone walk by and you think, oh, she's pretty, and then that's different from you see the person think walk by and you start thinking about what she looks like in other settings. So, I mean, that's a different, though, I'm talking about actively thinking. Um, I mean, like, for example, if you, if, if you, if you... Versus passively if thinking? No, 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 there is a difference. Because, like, if I'm driving on the road and someone cuts me off in, er, immediately, I am going to have a flare of anger, naturally. It is, unless, unless you have really trained yourself, it's going to be very difficult to prevent the flare. The, however, the, the, uh, I can then brood on it internally without saying anything, without doing anything, that's and be thinking, that guy. That's right. Back to Greg's point. Just a, just a note of clarification, if I may. Leviticus 19.17, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So it's not the hating that's the sin. It's what it leads to that could cause the sin. Okay. Because on that, does, do you have a comment on that? Okay. All right. Well, Colby, why don't you go ahead first? All I was going to say was, I think, I don't remember the exact verse, but it doesn't go back to, as a man thinks his heart, so he does. What's the exact verse? Very close to that. Anyway, I think that's so what y'all are getting at. It's basically, it's that causation. If you think something in your heart and you dwell on it, what's likely that you not do? Well, if it becomes an obsession, something that you don't stop thinking about, then what's the likelihood of you not acting on that? I know I struggle with that. There's something, there's been a lot of things lately. I've been trying to help my fiance do wedding planning. There's a lot of things that I obsess over. I think, oh, well, you can go this way, this way, this way, this way. And then in, in just obsessing over those things, saying it has to be done this way. Well, then if I'm not willing to budge on those things, then I get upset and angry and cause problems. You, you understand what I mean? So, like, if, if I, because I obsessed over it, because it was so important to me, I become blind to what my desires affect me. The, I'm not saying that sin cannot lead. I, I'm not saying that thought can't lead to sin. No, but that's exactly what you are saying. Well, I'm actually not, because I agree with what Greg said before. If I see the girl walk by, and I, and I, and I think to myself, beautiful woman, not a problem. Correct. But I think the sages came up with all these prayers for everything so that we would turn our hearts back to <laughs> Yeah, right? definitely. Because if, if we dwell on the fact that she's beautiful, and then our th thoughts go out of whack, then we're not taking every thought captive. I don't know where the line is, but a bad thought, as I think you started yours out, cannot be sin. Because in order to speak, we must think. So when Satan tempted our master, and he listened to it, he, he encapsulated what he said, he then responded, right. he had to think about it. Wow. Now that I worship him. No, I can't do that. Why? And he quotes Deuteronomy. He took that thought captive and he beat Temptation, by definition, is not. Yeah. Right, I uh, exactly. Temptation, by definition, is almost always thought based. It's the, well, that's where it starts. Right. That, exactly, yes. But where that kind of leads, which is where I was wondering and questioning, is then that means that the Tenth Commandment is really just sort of a, uh, a barrier and not a commandment. Because well, I think you said it earlier in your class. You brought up the, the, the term, uh, what you call it? So you called it active 
the scheming and the yeah, okay, and okay, all right, yeah, because I, I can work with that. Now, now I'm okay, I'm working on something. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 now I've, I've not only recognized the beautiful woman, right, but now I've got a movie playing, and I'm I'm sitting here watching the movie, right? Right. That's that, that's, that's an active that, thing, right? That, that's an action in my mind. It's still all thought based, though. It's still an action. It's just, it's just where it's taking place. It's taking, right. in, it's taking place inside your body or outside your body. Right. I'm, I'm actively pursuing that in my mind. That's why I need to go. Uh, well, and, and that's where the sages drew the line. Yeah, so that's, that, that is actually very helpful. Individual thought, but pursuing Exactly. I mean, no matter what word we describe, it's, it's an action word. Pursuing it actively. Right. Whatever yeah, dwelling be. even it can, it can be an action. Okay. Colby, did you have something? Yeah. Um, so the verse that, that comes to my mind is, why are you angry? I don't think it's a mistake that God gives us a clear, a pretty clear in my mind how to deal with this in chapter 4 of Genesis. Why are you angry? Why is uh, your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So then right here, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Amen. That's... Yeah. I don't really 
Thank you, Johnny. Well, this, this might be just a quick question. Is there a biblical example of someone desiring or coveting something and there's no action and it's described as a sin? Can anybody think of something where somebody like desired something and then it was, it, it, Scripture approaches it as if it was a sin or a very bad thing and there was no action involved? There was no action involved? Right. Well, I know there's an action involved in a lot of things, but, you know, like, because we think of, well, Eve, that's the word there. Yeah, and see, that's what I'm talking, so that, I'm, I'm kind of using that to, to sort of flesh out, like, I, I couldn't really think of a situation where all it took was somebody to think about something or desire something and then well, the, it, they were punished for it. The action was when the sin occurred. That, that tends to be the answer to the question. What about the rich young ruler? The other, it, what do you mean? I'm just tossing that out. I mean, he was walking everywhere else. What was his action? His, I would say his action wasn't like, that case it was in action. It was, it was, I mean, yeah, and I, I asked that question sort of pointedly to just kind of flush out, I, it, it just doesn't, it does seem like every time we see a desire in a negative context that it is followed with a, a sin, not that 
one thing, like not that the thought itself or not that the actual desiring was a sin. And, and I guess that goes right into the next question, which was, see, I was kind of thinking about this. Since it is the exact same word used to describe Eve, why didn't the fall happen when she just looked at it or desired it? That's true. Yeah. But, but it, God addresses the actual eating of the fruit. He doesn't address the desiring of it. True, but I guess my, my, only, my only point, I suppose, is um, like the fall seems to be a cumulative event of sorts. And I don't know that you necessarily can say that Eve eating the fruit brought about the fall in and of itself, per se. Um, because otherwise, I mean, like you look at Paul, he describes sin entered the world through Adam, not through Eve. Um, hence, and although God punishes Eve for her sin, but he also punishes the serpent for having lied to Eve in the first place. So it's kind of like, well, I mean, I mean, I, I guess that sin is sort of in the world, but not necessarily in humans, but it kind of is. But I mean, I, I guess my only point is, I don't know that I would necessarily say that coveting was not it. Well, I, I think one, I think one... One way to understand the distinction there is Eve was deceived by, by the serpent, right? So the serpent, you know, uh, the serpent coerced and manipulated and whatever and got her to believe something that was not true. Adam chose intentionally to eat the fruit. And likewise... Adam's direction to her was not to touch it, yeah. whereas God's direction to Adam was not to eat it. Mm-hmm. Right. So Adam, Adam, intentional. One one way to understand it is Adam intentionally decided to eat the fruit, knowing that he was violating uh, a command of his own free will. He wasn't coerced or manipulated. And I guess I guess what the reason I bring that up is because it was the word that we were just looking at that led to the eating of the fruit and then Adam eating the fruit, and that was what was addressed by God, was you ate the fruit when I told you not to eat the fruit. Yes? And just to, the, to your question, I, I don't think coveting was at play here. Yeah. As I think there was just one command in the garden, and it was don't eat it. So that she desired slash coveted is sort of irrelevant in, the, in that narrative. I would argue there's two commands. That was the only prohibition. Right. We're talking specifically about the tree issue. So I think uh, when she ate it, that's when she broke the only command there. Not so much the covenant. I would say about Adam, maybe not necessarily that he he actually decided to break the command. Maybe he did. I'm not saying he did or didn't. But Adam was the man on the ground, literally. He was the one who God gave the commandment. He was the one who was responsible for Eve. So whatever happened on his watch was his responsibility. Yeah. That's interesting, though. So I, are you, are you, I guess you're saying that, like, literally there was only one commandment well, and, and, yeah, in the whole world. The, the, the sin was of disobedience, not necessarily of, of jealousy. Right. Because, I mean, with Noah, like, there was definitely, the Torah wasn't given, no other commandments were given, but we have... There's, like, a moral 
Murder wasn't given. Yeah, okay. God said, don't eat from the tree. They ate from the tree. God never said, do not murder, but then Cain murdered Abel. But it was a bad thing. Like, it was a... I, I just... I, I don't really buy into, like, the... There was only... There was only each commandment as the soon as it was said was... The question was, why didn't God talk to them about coveting at that point? Or address it. Right. 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 So from that point on, according to Hebrews, she becomes this great cloud of witnesses, for good or bad, that we can learn and should learn from. Yeah. Well, the uh, just as kind of sort of tie things up, it seems like we were liking the commentary about actively scheming some kind of planning involved in this thought that we have, this covetous desire, this, this covetousness. And um, I just, it was interesting because I was thinking about first desiring and then what does that lead to? And of course, I, I think a perfect example of how susceptible we as humans can be is David, who is just an incredibly righteous man from whose, I mean, his seed is the seed of Messiah. And, he writes all these amazingly beautiful psalms. Such a righteous man. Yet his desire led to an incredibly terrible action that he regretted for his entire life. So even just if we say that it's not the desire that's the actual sin, but it's the action that leads to it, I think David's an example of how that should never be taken lightly. That even if it, we can't call it an, a sin per se, as soon as we have that desire or that thought, he's a good example of how it is very easy for that to lead to something much, much worse. Which is exactly what Messiah Yeshua is trying to drive home in, in Matthew 5. Exactly. Well, well, if nothing else, I hope that this just brought about some, some extra thought into this commandment that I guess doesn't get a lot of of press because of how tricky it really is to whether to know whether it's a thought or an action and, and when does it happen and there's just it's it's um but but I think it's very serious and it's uh it's a really right I mean it's compared it's in the apostolic scriptures to idolatry oh yeah absolutely absolutely so hopefully this was this is incredibly helpful for me because I, I was really struggling with a lot of these thoughts and I think you guys had helped me come to some good conclusions. I thought that in, in several instances in, in my past and, and, from, and from people I've seen uh, just looking at my own life, I, I think a lot of the biggest issues of covetousness don't come so much from the things that are so far beyond our reach, like the, the, the homeless guy in the mansion, the, the, the pauper and the princess. It comes from the things that are just a little bit out of reach. They're not too far from us. And I think that that's, I think if we can kind of keep that as our, um, you know, that is the scope of it. That will help us, you know, be more aware of how to avoid it. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, 
realize this guy has a big old house. I just want the cars parked in the garage. You know, I, you know so what if, you know, um, you know, just one of these, you know, it's, it's, if we make light of it, uh, see that it's, that there's more room for it to take place. Yeah. And it's one of the things that are closer to us. It's not like, you know, you know I, I'm not covetous of Peter's ability to play the piano at all, because I don't think any amount of practicing would ever make me be able to do that. I agree. So, I me too. <laughs> no, no, it's not. To, to me, this, this discussion, to me, brings, brings out um, why Chazal, down through the um, centuries, you know, why there was such a focus on, on, on Halakha, Halakha, because we've, you know, we're all pretty well-versed in Scripture. We're all reasonably intelligent. You guys are much smarter than I am. But we still haven't figured out where the line is, right? Right. Which is why, which is why, which is why a that says, look, we're not really sure, but this is what we're, this is, this is the line we're going to all agree to because this is how we're going to walk this out to make sure that Regardless of where it actually is, only God right. really knows that. <clears throat> right. We're 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 gonna all agree that we're we're not crossing this line, and when we do, it's exactly. a sin. We're just gonna say it's a sin. We're gonna well, we're gonna assume it's a sin, mm. right? To me, there is a lot of wisdom in in approaching these ty- types of things with that uh, with that type Strong. of And I was hoping some of that would come out because of how a lot of the various sermons and audios that discussed coveting, most of them were saying things like, oh yeah, we do this all the time. I've probably done it already while I'm sitting here speaking my sermon. And I don't appreciate the the taking sin so lightly. I, I think, I mean, we're talking about the same sin that people were required to kill an animal over. So, I mean, this is like really serious. We, if If we are doing it that frequently then it's really scary because we better stop immediately or we could never say that we're walking with God if we're continually sinning. I mean, what does First John say about that? So, absolutely, yeah. Which is why, which is why I would not have a problem with a halakhic ruling that says if you, if, you, if you continue in the thought, it's a sin. Right? Regardless of what kind of action and how you want to define action. If you continue in the thought, you, you cross the line, right? Because to me, that is, you know, whether whether you actually have or not, you set the line there and you just assume, you, yeah. you know. Yeah, cool. You should tack onto that the end of uh, your, your motive, you know, it's your intention for it. Like Jeremiah was saying earlier, you know, the guy could genuinely desiring this for righteous purposes. Well, Just the presumption a, is it's an unrighteous. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I would like to emphasize something you said earlier, Joseph, because I think we all, maybe with some of our, the dads here, we, we, we can relate to a time where credit wasn't so easily begotten and so on and so forth, where that thing that's just outside of reach 
stayed outside of reach because credit didn't exist. And we live in a society now where the means is, I can reach it and pay for it later. And that's where that indebtedness that I was speaking of earlier is an example of your covetousness because you're willing to put yourself into those situations mm. in our society. And so that's, you know, I'm just throwing out caution out to the younger guys. I said, because I'm living that now. I'm living that result of that to where it's just so difficult. I am too. Student loans. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. May I ask a favor? Yes. Hashem. Is this in the electronic version? Is this in the electronic version? It's in the electronic version on page 172. Excellent. 
great name grow exalted and sanctified. Amen. In the world that he created as he willed, may he give reign to his kingship in your lifetimes and in your days, and in the lifetimes of the entire family of Israel, swiftly and soon I respond. Amen. May his great name be blessed forever and ever. May his great name be blessed forever and ever blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, extolled. Mighty praised and lauded be the name of the Holy One, blessed is he. Blessed is he. Beyond any blessing in song, praise and consolation that are uttered in the world, now respond. Amen. Accept our prayers with mercy and favor. May the prayers and supplications of the entire family of Israel be accepted before their Father who is in heaven, now respond. Amen. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. May there be abundant peace from heaven and life upon us and upon all Israel, now respond. Amen. My help is from Adonai, maker of heaven and earth. Peace in his heights may make peace upon us. Upon all these respond. Amen. It is our duty to praise the Master of all, to ascribe greatness to the Molder of primeval creation, for he has not made us like the nations of the lands, and has not emplaced us like the families of the earth. For he has not assigned our portion like theirs, nor our lot like all their multitudes. For they bow to vanity and emptiness and pray to a God which helps not. But we bend our knees, bow, and acknowledge our thanks before the King who reigns over kings. The Holy One, blessed is he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundations. The seed of his homage is in the heavens above, and his powerful presence is in the loftiest heights. He is our God, and there is none other. True is our King, and there is nothing beside him. As it is written in your Torah, you are to know this day and take to your heart that Adonai is the only God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is none other. Therefore, we put our hope in you, Adonai, our God, that we may soon see your mighty splendor to remove detestable idolatry from the earth and false gods will be utterly cut off to perfect the universe through the almighty sovereignty. Humanity will call upon your name to turn all the earth's wicked toward you. All the world's inhabitants will recognize and know that to you every knee should bend, every tongue should swear. Before you, Adonai, our God, they will bend every knee and cast themselves down. And to the glory of your name they will render homage. And they will all accept upon themselves the yoke of your kingship, that you may reign over them soon and eternally. For the kingdom is yours, and you will reign for all eternity in glory, as it is written in your Torah, Adonai shall reign for all eternity. They said, Adonai will be king over all the world. On that day, Adonai will be one, and his name will be one. Together? Do not fear sudden terror or the holocaust of the wicked when it comes. Plan a conspiracy, and it will be annulled. Speak your peace, and it shall not stand. For God is with us. Even till your seniority, I remain unchanged. And even till your ripe old age, I shall endure. I created you, and I shall bear you. I shall endure and rescue. May his great name grow exalted and sanctified. Amen. In the world that he created as he will, may he give reign to his kingship in your lifetimes and in your days. That means, may he send Yeshua in your lifetimes and in your days. And in the lifetimes of the entire family of Israel, swiftly and soon, now respond. Amen. May his great name be blessed forever and ever. May his great name be blessed forever and ever. Blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, extolled. Mighty of praised and lauded be the name of the Holy One. Blessed is he. Blessed is he. Beyond any blessing in song, praise and consolation that are uttered in the world, now respond. Amen. May he make peace upon us, upon all Israel. Now respond, Amen. My, uh, I called my 